0: This week on A Lively Experiment, is it time for campus police at all public institutions in Rhode Island to be armed? One state rep wants to revisit the discussion. And the Senate president wants to see another expansion of gambling. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by...
1: Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm
0: a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Lisa Wranglin, president and CEO of the Rhode Island Black Business Association. Ken Block, founder of Watchdog RI. And Bill Lynch, former chairman of the Rhode Island Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Lively, I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. The mass shooting at Michigan State University this week has many college campuses revisiting their safety protocols, and it is likely to reignite discussion about a proposed bill by Representative William O'Brien to have campus police at both Rhode Island College and CCRI to join their counterparts at URI and carry firearms. A similar proposal didn't get any traction at RIC five years ago. Lisa, let me begin with you. This is a evolving discussion and we have the, you know, Michigan State reignites the discussion. I wonder if we're at the point where this is something we want to do, or I guess a lot of it will be whether the campus is equipped to do it, right?
2: Right. So let me just say, I am, my heart goes out to the family that have lost their children. Gun violence is a real thing, but also mental health. Um, And as a mom, I cannot imagine send my child off to school and for them not to come home, so that is just so, so painful. But let me just say, I think they definitely need to evaluate whether harming cops, you know, giving cops firearm in school is the right answer. I am very concerned about black and brown students on campus. That, yes, you want to ensure that we have safety and we want to have protocols in place, but what if a police officer sees a black student and decide that, I'm going to take this person out just because they're black. And that's a real challenge. I mean, there was a study recently that I read that says 46% of students says, yes, we feels better when cops are, you know, with firearm on, on campus. However, that same study cited that 37% of black students did not feel safe. So I think we, and we're talking about CCRI, where the, you know, black and brown students, large population of them. So I'm very concerned. I think we got to protect our children, but I'm not sure if firearm given cops, is the way to go.
0: Yeah, where you stand depends on where you sit on this issue. Yeah. Um, try, training, obviously, would be an issue. What do you think in general?
3: Sure, training is obviously uh, a big part of it. You know, from my perspective on it, I think if you have a protective force to make sure that the uh, student population is safe... It's pretty hard for them to protect the student body when they don't have the armaments necessary to, to repel somebody who's coming in with a lot of firepower. Uh, and I know, some, I know personally some campus police officers at Rhode Island College, and they personally feel like they cannot do their job appropriately without arms uh, in the case where somebody with arms shows up. So, you know, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and, and it's a challenge across the board, but I think if the ultimate uh, goal of the police force is to ensure the safety of the students that they're there to protect, it's pretty hard to fight bullets with nothing more than a bulletproof vest.
1: Yeah, I think Lisa's point is well taken, but I, th- I think it's like anything else, um, it's a balancing act. I think in some places it's been enacted and it's, it seems to be working, but I think that they'll look at it closely here um, with input from law enforcement as well as our academic people. I mean, it, it's a, there are concerns on both sides, but I mean a bullet doesn't know skin color. And, and I think that if you look at in this country, the number of mass shootings, I saw the other day somewhere that there've been more deaths from mass shootings this year than we've had days in the year. Um, so, and, and they're young children uh, from all backgrounds, all races, um, I mean, it's horrific. I'd like to see Ken take some time to go down to D.C. and see if he can get his friends in the Republican (laughs) Congress to do something about gun control, you know. He's got Mitch
0: McConnell on speed dial.
1: You know, there's no discussion amongst the National, I'm not blaming Ken, but there's no discussion amongst the National Republican Party of any consequence to do anything about gun control, zero. Um, And it's just outrageous and there's, there's this, 24 hour outcry when we have one of these horrible mass shootings and including from these Republican congressmen and senators, uh, you know, who say how horrible they feel Thoughts for the prayers. family. Yeah. And then 24 hours later, it's just on to other business and nothing happens. And we're the only country in the world that has this proliferation of, of firearms. Um, and it's just horrible. I mean, it, within the last two days, there were gunshots fired outside of school in Providence. Um, you talk to the Providence you know, leadership in the police department and the mayor's office, and you've got these ghost guns and and unregistered firearms. Um, so this is not an, a problem in Michigan or just Florida or just California. It's here, it's arrived, it's in Rhode Island, and I would love to see a little more bipartisan activity in terms of trying to do more about it.
0: The thought has always been that, it, particularly at Rick, the Providence police are, are relatively close, but you look at you look at scenes like Michigan State and Virginia Tech, is it better to have somebody there? Now, a lot of people on campus reflected what you were saying. They were concerned about firearms. That was five years ago. We don't know. It's a crystal ball question. I wonder whether the thoughts on campus have changed just given what's going on. Kids now who are coming of age and are now 18, 19, 20, they've lived with mass shootings for how long? So I don't know whether the gun gives them comfort or gives them concern. And what you're saying is it depends on who you You're are, talking, right?
2: right? Yeah, I think it's important. I, I would agree with you, Bill, around um, common sense gun laws, right? I think we've tried it. Um, I've gone to the State House, lots of moms have gone up, and we've been advocating, testifying around common sense con- gun control, and we need it. And I think lawmakers need to step up on both sides. Um, too many families are being impacted by gun violence. And I just think it's again, thoughts and is not going to bring our children back or our family members back, but we got to fix it. And I think you're absolutely correct around we've been talking way too long and we do these yeah, oh my God, this happened again. Now we're counting 38, 39. But again, I do believe it's important for us to get our hands around it here in Rhode Island. And if it's law or let's get it passed, we got to get common sense gun control. For what sure. about the national
0: discussion? It's been tough.
3: It's, Come on, Ken. It's, now, what are you, you going to fix this? Yeah. No? <laughs> he's, so, he's getting yeah, both exactly. here. <laughs> look, look, I've been on the show, and I've said quite, you know, plainly, we need we need gun control because what's happening is is outrageous. It's outrageous. Uh, I have very little confidence or hope that uh, on a national level we're going to see any kind of consensus about doing something. Uh, Which is problematic at the state level because if you have some states that enact uh, stricter gun laws and other states that don't, we have porous borders between the states and and the end result is just not not much will change, I don't think. So uh, it really is, it's a very, very difficult problem. It's one we have to address because the number of mass shootings that we're experiencing is going up. Uh, It's dangerous. It's outrageous. It's wrong. It's terrifying. And it's heartbreaking and we need to do something about it as a society because bill's absolutely right we have a we have a problem with gun violence here that most other civilized countries do not have
0: yeah well and there's it's because of the second amendment you go to yeah. canada there's no second amendment and there seems to be and i think that's the discussion you have every year at the state house is i think a lot of the second amendment advocates think if you give an inch they're going to take my guns away yeah. and there's no there's no <clears throat> middle ground all right um, uh, for Senate President Dominic Ruggiero apparently has been in discussions with Bally's he solicited a request for proposal from them so to speak uh, for iGaming Bill you used, you'd be able to do sports uh, gaming on your phone now apparently the president, uh, Senate President says we should be able to do all of this online and not have to leave your house um, more revenue for the state some people think that might make gambling a little bit more easy and maybe that's not a good thing any on I mean,
1: that? full disclosure, I've worked a little bit in the past for IGT, I don't now, um, but uh, you know, listen, th- it, you know, I've said this on this program before, when other issues have come up like sports gambling, I'm, I'm not a big gambling person, frankly, but it's, it, gambling's here to stay. It's not going away. It's been around since the beginning of time, and it obviously has evolved now with the onset of cell phones and apps and things that make it easier to do. And I think we just have to deal with that. People are going to gamble. The issue isn't anymore, are we going to have gambling or not? We have gambling and now we have legalized gambling. And now this is an opportunity. I don't think that it's, it's a relatively new proposal. I don't think it's been fully vetted yet, but I think that the Senate president has made it clear. And I'm sure that the house will take a look at it. Um, You know, it certainly will generate income. There's no question about that. Um, And with that, and just as with sports gambling, there are downsides to it. There's going to be an attraction to people. I think studies have shown it nationally that, that the proliferation of more gambling does lead to more issues with, mainly with people gambling who can't afford it, can't control themselves and things of that nature. And don't so, have
0: to leave their house to lose their shirt.
1: It's a, pr- it's, it's a challenge, no question about it. Um, but I think, again, it's an issue of, of do the positives outweigh the negatives and how do you address it to properly deal with those things. But the truth is it's not going away. Um, and I think that we have to recognize that and, and, and if we are going to have it try to put in place processes that make it, you know, as good as it can be under the circumstances.
3: Okay. So, let me start off by saying that uh, when I worked for GTech back in the 90s, I literally helped wheel some of the first video slot machines into Lincoln Greyhound Park, because I helped write the software that sits behind all that to tie them all together. Um, all that being said, I think that Rhode Island is relying far too much on sins and sin taxes for our revenue, right? Gambling taxes, marijuana taxes, you know, so what we're not doing effectively is we're not growing our economy, we're not providing the right environment for businesses to come here to bring jobs and to raise up everybody's boat. Instead, what we're doing is we're we're taxing all these different sin-type activities, uh, which is fine because we're starved for revenue and we have people who want more and more taxes and they just, you know, we want to spend our money as opposed to uh, doing things to help everyone build some wealth. And I think that we need to be better than that. And we ha- we, we're going to run out of sins to tax at some point. And then what are we left with? We've
0: well, we got to create new sins.
3: Yeah. <laughs> They're right. <laughs>
2: Lisa? Yeah. So I, I understand where the president is coming from, from a revenue perspective. I'm concerned about the accessibility and how easy that will be, especially for children. And Bill, you talked about people that can't afford to be gambling. So again, I I think we need to ensure that there's proper um, controls and regulations in place. So this, you know, access to gambling is not going to make people even more in poverty, the poor folks, right? Because they feel like, oh my God, if I gamble, maybe I'm going to win at some point. But you may lose what you don't have. And then how do we deal it with children? I mean, we should be concerned about our kids starting at a very early age. I mean, technology is at their fingertips, right? So um, I think I understand, and I would agree with you um, as it relates to businesses, not just coming into the state, but businesses here in Rhode Island to grow and scale so they can drive revenue stream as well. And we're not seeing a lot of robust investment in businesses with huge potential such as black and brown, businesses that are starving in many cases. It's interesting how
0: the view on gambling has changed so much, because when you were working for GTech back in the mid 90s, they had that proposal for five different places, the casinos. They all went down in a flaming mess because people were like, oh, and you also had Republican governors. You had Lincoln Common and, and Don Kachiri, who said, I'm going to wield the veto pen. And so gambling. But now it seems like it, it seems kind of ho-hum and Compa- I realize times change, but do you remember the anti-gambling fever casino oh, yeah. back then? And everybody kind of now seems to be, you want to gamble, you want to gamble.
3: It's certainly become socially more acceptable across the country, and we've relaxed laws about gambling across the country. So to Bill's point, is it inevitable that it's coming? Yeah, you know, it really is. And, and given that framing, does it make sense for us to embrace it? Possibly. But, you know, my bigger point, though, is that we cannot have an effective society and it's not a great source of revenue to be looking at that kind of uh, funding to keep things going in this state uh, as opposed to doing the things we need to do to really build a strong economy. What
0: about that? It's
1: the first time I can't admit that he and the Republican Party responsible for the problems associated with gambling from back when he wheeled,
3: wielded those machines. <laughs> Ken began. <laughs> but that what was a, way before I became political in any way. That's Just true.
0: What about is. the safeguards, though, Bill? This does go on in other states. I think what Lisa talked about—kids being able to and setting up fake profiles and all of that—that's look. It's a, it's
1: it's a problem that, but it's it's. It has to be addressed. I, I don't want to be repetitive, but it's not going away, and, and Lisa's exactly right, you know, uh, I have a grandson who's more adept at electronics and phones and apps than I am, but that's the world now, and, and whether it's, it's educating kids and where the future of jobs are, they're all, nobody knows better than Ken, that that's the area where there's, where there's a, a, a growing economy going forward, and look at these businesses like gambling are not immune to that, they recognize that, Um, And it's the same concerns people have had with sports gambling that you can, you know, gamble through your cell phone. And they've put some restrictions. It's relatively new, so I'm not sure how well they're working yet, but we're going to find out. But the bottom line is that people have to be ready to realize that uh, it's, it's here to stay. It's going to evolve. It's the gambling is no longer going to be only at a casino where you have to go to a location and put a chip on the table or play cards, you can, you can do it on the Internet now, some illegal, some legal. And I think this is another step in that direction. So.
0: How helpful is it to have a 10-year-old when you can't figure out the app on your phone? Right there, right? <laughs> or how to turn the TV on. <laughs> <laughs> the very basics, Grandpa, right? Yeah. All right. Um, the the uh, Firefighter Disability uh, discussion has been going on for years, actually in law enforcement in general. There's a bill back this year that would grant, well, let, uh, Ken, I'm going to have you set the table because you've, very, you've been following this for years. Basically, it would uh, if you have uh, high blood pressure, hypertension, it would be presumed to be job-related. Now, this went on with the police years ago. Now it's back, and there's also some PS, PTSD involved. So set the table for the viewers.
3: Yeah, so let's start off by saying that the firefighters arguably have the strongest, most effective lobby in the entire state. They have really seem to control politics at the local level, at the state level. They're very good at getting things that they want. Um, and they're persistent. They, they ask for more and more and more. Uh, this particular set of bills is troublesome to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, Um, While there are some very fit and very active firefighters, there are also some that very much are not, and they're obese and they have other issues. So if they have high blood pressure and they have hypertension, which is the same thing, or they have other issues, do we have, is there really medically, is it true that their condition is brought upon by their job as opposed by the general state of their health? Additionally, there are many firefighters who work other jobs besides being a firefighter. And if they're engaged in jobs that are other second jobs that are stressful or have other negative health consequences to them, why should the taxpayers bear the burden of whatever the fallout might be from those other jobs? So, I think it's dangerous to have gener- to talk about anything in a generalized way, but now we're trying to generalize w- the reasons that a firefighter has poor health down the line. And let's face it, a great many people have hypertension as they get older. It's just, it's become a fact of life in this country to a large extent. And so is it fair to taxpayers that when some firefighters inevitably get hypertension that it should be blamed upon the job and give them a very rich Retirement package and the fiscal ramifications. Is it's two thirds tax free, right? Two thirds tax free. There's all kinds of things that come along with it in many different ways. I think it's a bad policy in general. It doesn't really follow the science. Uh, but I also am a realist here, and because of how effectively the firefighters seem to get whatever they want, I don't think much pushback is going to do much to stop this request from becoming law.
2: We'll Say, Lisa. Yeah, and I mean, you brought up some really great points, kind of around when do we stop? Can another, um, maybe the police officers come back and say, I want the same thing. The teachers, how do we control, um, to your point around, if somebody's not taking care of themselves, poor health, Um, just, you know, not taking healthy precautions. So I do agree that we should not be um, paying for somebody to just kind of, eat bad and get you know fat and overweight and then says it's linked to my job. The other thing that other point that I probably should make I think it should be really um, up to the doctors to really determine if this person is should be cited as job related or not because sometimes it's not. It needs to be proven. But I I do agree that the lobbyists will, will probably most likely push it through. I think the fire departments and the fire unions, they have very strong um, relationship with legislators. So this is one that they, mach- they probably will be successful and then taxpayers have to um, cover their retirement or their benefits, which I-, I don't really agree with because then sign me up, right? <laughs> um, many people can say the same thing.
0: I did a story years ago when they were talking about having fitness tests after you got on the police force. And it would, and the whole presumption, you could eat a dozen donuts a day, smoke 10 packs of cigarettes, have three wives, and that wouldn't be considered distress-related. I think the issue that I have, Bill, with this is once it's granted, you don't go back to look, like if I retire and I have a pretty decent pension and I can sit on the beach and read a book, maybe my blood pressure would go down. I don't see that provision once the decision is made.
1: I think the difference though with this bill is is the, the hypertension issue I think it's maybe too much um, focus. I think the issue in the bill uh, that I've seen is in the new issue is this um, discussion about post-traumatic stress and whether or not that should be a qualifying um, problem for a firefighter and look I think there already is some provisions where medical people are involved and there can be challenges made and reviews done but I have to say, and you know, I'm not not a, I don't, I don't represent any firefighters at the state house, so I don't really have a, a, you know, a dog in that fight, but you know, I'm leaving here to go to court this morning. I'm not running into a burning courthouse. I'm not showing up at a scene of a car accident and picking someone's hand up and it's not connected to their body anymore. You know, these are realistic things that we require our firefighters to do in Rhode Island unfortunately on a daily basis. And and I think you can't ignore that. Um, so um, I, I think it'll be a, a, a lively discussion um, and I think that firefighters and frankly police officers um, do um, deal with Issues of significant psychological import that many of us don't. I don't. No but haven't like haven't
0: that. they always? Isn't that part of the profession? Well, but it, is, is that it gotten the instant, worse you know, in 2023 than it was in 1983?
1: I would say, unfortunately, yes. And that's a critique of us as a society. And we started this discussion this morning talking about mass shootings, um, which have unfortunately become sort of a almost an an acknowledged regular event now, and I don't think that they were 30 or 40 years ago. And I think we've changed, not always in a positive way, um, this world and this country and this state. Um, So yes, I I think that the responsibilities and the issues that firefighters and police officers deal with have changed dramatically over the past 30, 40, 50 years, and I think we have to recognize that.
0: You get the final word on that. <clears throat> Why does he get the final word? Because, uh, because you talk we started out with him. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a stop clock on it. I'm keeping it going in my head here. Mental timer. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. It's uh, at some point enough mm. is enough. And, and the firefighters come back to the table every session. They're asking for more. They ask for more. They ask for more. Uh, I believe that in small, a small number of circumstances where there is a particular reason for retirement due to disability that it should be granted and that we can provide it tax-free and everything else. To do it across the board I think is silly, it's wrong, taxpayers should not be on the hook to do it. There will be people who take advantage of a situation like that Uh, and ultimately look, firefighters aren't naive, they know what they're signing up for when when they go ahead and do the job. Will every firefighter retire on disability because of PTSD? Because if that's where we're going, then this is a ridiculous proposal and there's no way we should do it.
2: All right. Let's
0: go to uh, outrages and or kudos. Lisa, let's begin with you this week.
2: I think I'm outraged, still outraged around the homeless um, situation. Um, I read an article recently where that really cold spell that we had recently, several people died from being outside. We got to fix this housing crisis that we have here in the state. I'm absolutely outraged that we have a surplus and yet people are dying on benches in our state.
0: What do you think about Stefan Pryor's appointment as the Housing Secretary?
2: So I've worked with Stefan when he was at Commerce Secretary. Um, I do believe he brings a lot to the table, I think he needs to mobilize the larger community. Again, that's not really his background. I think he has some great transferable skills that we'll be able to leverage. However, I think he really needs to be plugged into the community, talk to the folks that have been doing it for a long time. Hopefully, I mean, one person just getting a job is not going to fix it. This is a, an issue that we've had for decades, right? But I think we have enough smart people in Rhode Island that we can get our hands around. We need more homes and homes that are actually affordable. I mean, not these three thousand dollar lofts that no one can really afford that we're talking about that are homeless and shut out from access, so we just got to fix this. I'm absolutely outraged that we still have a surplus, and we have still people dying on the street so so sad Bill,
0: what do you have
1: i'm going I'm going to give a kudo to the uh, speaker, uh, who I think's done an unbelievably good job at opening things up and being transparent and working. Uh, with both sides of the aisle and uh, in being inclusive since he's been the speaker. And I'm told from a very reliable source that there's going to be a settlement uh, of the pending lawsuit um, that the Republican Party filed with respect to JCLS, maybe as re- maybe as soon as today, with essentially that complaint being withdrawn. So I think there was a political issue in play there, and I'm happy to hear that, and and I hope that I'm correct that. That was the issue about, about
0: JCLS meeting right. and voting and all of that. Right. All right, you heard it here first. If it doesn't happen, we're going to hold you accountable. I'm going to you call can, you every day to find out what the. You sa- can co- call Ken. He's got my number. <laughs>
1: what do you have, Ken?
3: So I have an outrage. Uh, I am really outraged by the no-bid $84,000 lobbying contract that was given to former congressional candidate Alan Fung by the uh, Rhode Island Public Transit Association, which is uh, whose executive director or the chairman is uh, Scott Abadesian, who's the former. Republican mayor of Warwick. Uh, First of all, that our our public uh, uh, transportation agency needs a lobbyist uh, seems a little bit crazy that we're spending taxpayer money to get more taxpayer money. But to do it no bid, to have what appears to be a sweetheart deal, uh, I believe that we need, I will hold any elected official accountable if they're abusing taxpayers, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And frankly, for the Republicans, as the party in opposition, to behave just like Democrats in terms of abusing taxpayers, you really lose one of the few selling points you have to the tax, to, to the voting public. So I think it's a problem. I think it's outrageous that it happened. I'm glad that the board of RIPTA is talking about unraveling that. And uh, so a partial kudo to that, but shame on everybody else involved for this scheme, which was really ill-advised.
0: And ripped is facing some pretty serious fiscal issues. I yeah. mean, I know this is a small part of that, but they're, they're going to have big problems over the next couple of years. So These, these,
1: these Republicans, you just got to watch them every minute. And you that's, your, know, that's
0: your job. <laughs> never know right? what they're
1: going to try to pull. <laughs> I agree with Ken.
0: Folks, that is uh, all the time we have. Bill? And Ken and Lisa, so nice to have you. Uh, We look forward to having you back. And finally this week we say goodbye to one of the key players behind the scenes here at Lively. Our director Scott Saracen is leaving Rhode Island PBS after a 26 year run at the station for a new opportunity. In addition to keeping us in line on this show, he is an award-winning producer who has put together so many great documentaries here over the years. Scott helped guide us through the transition on this new set. He helped design it several years ago. And truth be told, Always had my back to hide the occasional blooper here in the studio. He has had the distinction of working with all of my predecessors in the moderator's chair. And he's been around long enough to remember when they used to hold up cue cards indicating how much time we had left in the show. Now, he just whispers a lot in my ear. After a well-deserved vacation with his family, he will begin at the Rhode Island Film and Television office later this month. Our loss is certainly their gain. Scott, thank you for your steadying presence week in and week out and we wish you luck with the new gig. And we hope the rest of you can join us back here next week as The Lively Experiment continues.